Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, giving you all the best information to keep you living healthy and pain-free. And this is podcast number 153. And today we are going to talk about uh, treatment for chronic pain conditions, uh, more specifically uh, chronic low back pain. This is something that is a very, very expensive injury, at least here in the U.S., chronic low back pain. Uh, More money is spent on chronic low back pain than on the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. So it's a huge, huge number. And as physical therapists, I think that we are uniquely qualified to, to help these patients with chronic low back pain. And so today, um, we're going to be talking about cognitive functional therapy. So for the purposes of this interview, we're just going to call it CFT. Otherwise, we'd be here all day just saying cognitive functional therapy because it's a bit of a ha- uh, mouthful. So I'm thrilled to have on the show Wim Dankotz. He is a certified CFT educator, is both a highly skilled clinician, leading clinical researcher, and dynamic educator. He is an associate professor in musculoskeletal physiotherapy at the University of Leuven in Belgium. He also works part-time in private practice in Tienen, Belgium, and I'm sure I just totally screwed the name of that up, but I'll ask him once he's, once he's on, as a musculoskeletal physical therapist. And he graduated uh, as a physiotherapist from the University of Leuven, received his postgraduate diploma in manipulative physiotherapy from Curtin University in Perth, uh, that's in Australia. And he completed his PhD at Curtin University in uh, 2005. And associate professor, Dr. Peter O'Sullivan was his principal supervisor. During his doctoral studies, Wim was a Lecturer at the prestigious Professional Masters in Musculoskeletal Physical Physiotherapy Program at Curtin University of Technology in Perth, and he is a member of Professor Professor Peter O'Sullivan's collaborative research team since 2001. His main interest of research is into the underlying mechanism of chronic low back pain to target patient-centered care. He has published several papers, presented his research findings at many international conferences, and has also presented many clinical courses on this topic internationally. And uh, for those of you listening in the United States, he's going to be in Portland uh, next month. So we'll talk a little bit about that towards the end of this interview. So uh, Wim, thank you so much and, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Karen. It's a really great pleasure to, uh, to be with you. I'm, I'm, I'm very delighted and uh, very proud. Great. So let's let's talk about first a little bit more about your background. So what got you interested in uh, cognitive functional therapy and I guess in the treatment of low back pain? Well, basically, if you look at um, at back pain and, and as you mentioned uh, very correctly, Karen, in the introduction, it's a huge problem. It's an absolute huge problem just worldwide. And and part of that is uh, it's, it's it's assumed that the the biomedical approaches to, to to managing low back pain that is 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 partly responsible for what we call the exponential increase in healthcare costs, and if you look at that, despite that that exponential increase in healthcare costs, there is concurrent an increase in disability and chronicity, which is really ironically, and. Um, so one one of the other reasons proposed is is the fact that that it's part 
due to the lack of what we call a person-centered management, um, which is really based on, on valid classification systems, which deal with um, the heterogeneity of the low back pain population, because that's well accepted. It's well accepted that not every low back pain, chronic low back pain patient looks the same. Of course. And there is a, a failure to adopt what, what is called a biopsychosocial framework that is based on this uh, contemporary evidence. And I was, I was lucky to um, uh, travel to Australia many years ago, it's probably 15 years ago, and uh, got, got uh, Peter O'Sullivan as one of, of, of the lecturers at, at the program at Curtin, and, and we, got, um, we got engaged in, in, in doing research uh, with him, and it, and it basically all started from there. And, and it's, it's a whole journey, and, and we just realized that we're still on a journey. Mm-hmm. It's not just finished. Things change um, based on things that we learn and, and, and new studies we do and, and new studies that come out from, from other different research groups and we, we, we just integrate. But the fundamental thing, if you asking, well, actually answering your question is why did we got interested in it, is because, well, there was time to change. It was time for a change in the way low back pain is, is viewed at and is cured, is management, because we're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, I, and you know, I, I certainly certainly agree with that. And if you can, so you mentioned uh, in the beginning the sort of focus of the medical system on the biomedical aspect versus the biopsychosocial aspect of care. So can you, for the, I mean, most people who listen to this podcast know what that means. I've had many, many podcasts on that. But can you give a quick overview as to what is the biomedical standpoint and what is a biopsychosocial standpoint? Well, biomedical is basically seeing low back pain um, as purely as a structural, anatomical, biomechanical disorder of the lumbar spine. And what we know is that it's, it's really beyond that and that it's, it's a complex disorder which can be influenced by many other things. And these include cognitive things like uh, catastrophizing thoughts, beliefs, uh, unhelpful expectations, poor motivation, but also not just cognitive, but also psychological things. I mean, people are depressed or have mm-hmm. anxiety, fear, or social things like low job satisfaction, interpersonal relations, stress, cultural factors. And, and we can go on. It, it can be physical things like guarded and restricted movements, lifestyle things, uh, lack of activity, or mm-hmm. maybe too much activity. Mm-hmm. And, and um, these are all seen within a biopsychosocial model. All these factors are seen uh, to act as catalyzators or catalysts for chronicity. And they contribute to a poor recovery, uh, prolonged disability, and uh, that, that's the biopsychosocial thing. So basically, to summarize, it's beyond the purely structural anatomical way of looking at back pain. Yeah, so that biomedical approach, it, it's, is it just too simplistic? It, does, it just doesn't take in the whole person. That, that's absolutely right. Uh, there are many studies that show that if you look at the structure, that that is not uh, by any means uh, telling you anything about back pain or not. So if you, if you look, for example, about, uh, on really interesting MRI studies where they looked at, and that's prospective research, so they see um, 
is that a prediction for future low back pain? So, for example, if you look mm -hmm. at Jarvik uh, study, um, mm -hmm. they look at, at a three-year incidence of low back pain in an initial asymptomatic cohort. And they looked at what is, what is it when, when you see uh, something on MRI, can that be predictive of having back pain with people who never had back pain, never ever had back pain in the past? And you know what? The strongest predictor was depression, not the MRI findings. And the other thing was that if you looked at annular tears, this degeneration, facet joint arthrosis, all these things, they did not predict low back pain. And the funny thing, that's the most funny thing, is that this bulges, you know, that we, we got people who are scared about this bulges. Absolutely. Whoa, you know, it's popping out a little bit. It's going <laughs> to pop out more. Well, this bulges, Jarvik found that this bulges were associated with a 25 lower risk wow. of getting back pain. Wow. So that, the, these kind of things tell us that we have to look beyond. That's not saying there is specific back pain. There mm -hmm. is specific back pain, but in, the, in, in, in most, I mean, figures change and, 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 and vary, but in most of the cases, like 80, 85%, 90%, depending on the literature, it's, it's called the non-specific, meaning that it's not driven by a structural pathology or an mm -hmm. anatomical feature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know what I find is when you, you know, you mentioned disc bulge or disc slipped discs or you know people literally think that they're going to fly out the back of their back absolutely and, absolutely and so then you have to think is that 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 dysfunctional thinking causing fear causing anxiety causing lack of movement can and i think that then those things are what can lead to more chronicity of back pain I'm, I'm actually convinced, and that that's the case. We see, yeah. we see that um, that a lot, and and that's that's actually by medical professions, mm -hmm. a lot language that is used is language that harms, mm -hmm. language Absolutely. that that is that is negative language that that creates negative beliefs, creates. We know that we know that creates fear, catastrophizing, mm -hmm. and especially. Mm -hmm. And that is the worst thing about, you know, uh, in, in, in the long run is that it creates a certain behavior, uh, avoidance behavior. People will be very focused on their structure. They will believe that any pain must be harming. Mm -hmm. um, they believe that activity is harmful. If, if just simple words like using, oh, you got some wear and tear, that can have detrimental effects on what people think about their back and what the future of their, um, their back will look like. Sure. And, and can create avoidance behavior, et cetera. Absolutely. And so, so now where does cognitive functional therapy fit into this framework? So if you can kind of give an overview of what CFT is and then how that fits into the framework of, in the treatment of patients with low back pain. Okay. Um, CFT is basically what we use. So the cognitive functional therapy is what we use to manage uh, low back pain disorders. And it's, it's, a, it's a flexible, it's a multidimensional uh, uh, intervention approach. And what, what is crucial to understand CFT is that it's based on what we call a clinical reasoning framework. So it's looking at all different factors. We just mentioned uh, a couple of them, mm -hmm. and we might come on ba uh, come back on that later. But but the clinical reasoning framework basically directs the care, 
and the care is directed at these and that's a crucial thing with CFT is that the modifiable drivers of pain and disability. Mm. So we, uh, some of the keywords are, you know, um, it's, it's modifiable, it's, it's maladaptive. People do things wrong or think wrongly about what, what they do. It's very patient centered. And so basically it's the answer to um, a lot of other classification systems that were around, but we, we would, we, we, we actually try to avoid the word classification, mm-hmm. subgrouping, et cetera, mm-hmm. to really emphasize that it's more a patient-centered approach. Uh, so we call it a stratification appro- approach to maladaptive and modifiable cognitive, psychosocial, functional uh, features and behaviors that are considered provocative for that uh, uh, specific uh, disorder. So very, very individual. Mm-hmm. So, so let's say I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So what do you say to the person who says, well, why should a physiotherapist or physical therapist be using this? Doesn't this sound like something more that a psychoanalyst or a psychologist should be using? And, and are we overstepping our, our bounds of our profession? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, a, a very good question. And, um, I think, um, as physical therapists, I really believe um, that we are very well placed to do this. Because of the specific setting we get, predominantly, I'm not saying that all educational programs, and especially the undergraduate programs, are sufficient equipped or will sufficiently equip the physical therapists with Mm -hmm. the right skills that are Mm -hmm. needed to apply this. But the way we deal with patients or have the ability to deal with patients, the ability to touch them, to examine them and to work with them in a functional manner. One of the key ingredients of CFT is cognitive functional therapy. If we can um, identify, uh, let's say, physical maladaptive patterns and we can then tell the patient that it's the it's not what they do it but it's the way they do it and we can give them um new insight better insight into how the lumbar spine works and how they they get they get control they get get back control over their uh pain uh, i think we we're very well placed uh, to uh, to deal with these uh patients yeah, I mean, I agree. And I just wanted to kind of clear that up because I, I hear that a lot as to, well, why would a PT have to do that? Or why are, why are we the person to delve into this with a patient? Um, so thank you for that answer. Um, and then what do you say? So let's, okay, so let's move on. For, let's talk about how this can be utilized in a clinical setting for the patient yeah. with low back pain. So let's take like a case example. Patient comes in, they've had low back pain for six months. They uh, have trouble. They they can't go to work. They don't see their friends. They have trouble just overall moving. Which, mm-hmm. which happens a lot, you know, that's a, a, a not an uncommon patient to come into your physical therapy clinic. Absolutely. So well, that patient comes in, what do you do? How do you use CFT? Well, 
Yeah, one of one of the key things uh, initially before you can deliver uh, the uh, the CFT, the, the cognitive functional intervention, is of course that um, you listen to the patient. You create a clinical setting where you ask uh, in a non-threatening manner uh, many open questions where the patient can tell his story. One thing that we 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 know with these uh, uh, chronic patients is that it's 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 crucial that we know the context of the whole story when it happened what happened you mentioned six months ago what was happening in your life six months ago when this happened and so basically uh depending on what the answers are of course um the different components of of uh, cft uh will then um you know address cognitive things functional things uh, functional training, functional integration, lifetime changes based on again what what was deemed um, uh, as 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 the drivers, the maladaptive drivers of of the disorder. And what are some examples uh, that you've had in in your experience of a maladaptive driver? Oh, it can be anything. It can be anything from from the factors that we we we, we just mentioned. It can mm -hmm. be. Um, it can be cognitive factors like like negative beliefs, uh, people that that have been told negative things about what their MRI looks, um, psychological factors like anxiety, depressed mood. Um, these are all things that can be comorbidity, uh, lifestyle behaviors. You know, um, are all things that can enhance sensitization and disability uh, uh, levels. Um, of course. Um, Work-related factors can can uh, can 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 be drivers. Um, many things you know can be deconditioning. Um, many factors. So when you're kind of seeing this patient for the first time and you're doing you're conducting your interview and you're listening to them, you're just sort of making note of of some of these drivers. You know, maybe putting a little, you know, sort of a a yellow flag. Is that what they are? Yellow flags, red flags, whatever you want to call them. But you're sort of making a note of this because this may be something that you are going to go back to in your treatment to address with this patient. Yeah, absolutely. What you try to, uh, to end after your first intake uh, consultation mm -hmm. is having a really good overview and, and using that clinical reasoning framework of all the different factors, um, having a good overview what contributes with that individual patient. Mm -hmm. And trying to, to draw what we, what we always do is we draw the vicious, the vicious cycle of pain, where we say, okay, this happened. And indeed, you had a minor, minor incident or a major incident. Mm -hmm. And based on that, you were giving information. And you've you've done something with that information that now um, you know basically dictates your uh, behavior, um, and and sometimes we just go back in time and we say, look, prior to this happening, you were doing you, you were running, you were going to the gym, you were doing this that, uh -huh. and what have you stopped doing? You're not running anymore. You're not going to the gym anymore, and we try to see uh, how much of that is driven by cognitive things. Um, and how much of that we can change mm -hmm. based on changing their understanding of what drives their pain. And maybe it's just, but, but, but I was told by another healthcare practitioner not to go running because, and they look at you and they say, 
they say, but I mean, you know, running is not good for you. It's bad for your back. It, it, it creates shocks and it's not good. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's, it's by doing reflective questioning. Like in this case, I would ask, but how was your back when you were running? Oh, actually, it was really good. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any pain when I was running. And it's basically telling or basically going through a kind of motivational interviewing process, which, which is, which is a, a key feature of the initial intake, mm -hmm. that, that they get insight and they, they say, well, you know, basically what I need to do is go back or get my life back how it was before. And partly is because of my maladaptive behaviors that I've ad uh, adopted. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in the end, the patient, like most patients, I think, just want to get back to doing what they were doing before. And I find when I'm interviewing patients that a lot of times... That's they why they love it. CFT. That's why they yeah. love CFT, because they say, finally, I got somebody who is on that journey because they, they've seen other people who, who have told them, uh, well, you better stop doing this or right. you got to be careful because there's quite some degenerative changes. You got your wear and tear and. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think it's, you, you just, it, what I find is that when these people come in, like I had a gentleman years ago who hurt his back the year previous, bending over to pick something up. And so he hadn't bent over in a year. Oh, we see that so many times. I we mean, see that so many times. And yeah. that's not saying anything about that specific uh, therapist that might have seen that, uh, that patient. We've got to be careful with that. There might be a specific time because that's one of the things that we absolutely take into account within our clinical reasoning framework. That's the time course of the disorder. Mm -hmm. It's completely different if you see somebody acute where you say, well, you probably, you know, um, avoid bending. But it's incredible the impact that that can have on yep. a patient that is quite uh, vulnerable for that. And yeah. if they get, they, if they perceive that as, and your body perceives that as a threat and see that as, um, kind of illness information you can imagine what you know pain catastrophizing whatever uh, can go on mm -hmm. and that creates uh, in many patients you see that creates avoidance behavior hyper vigilant behavior mm -hmm. and that's why because that was the thing we initially started to investigate was more the physical or what we would call the abnormal functional behaviors that were and it was in some cases, they're the cause, but in some other cases, they are the consequence mm -hmm. of what has been told and of especially of that avoidance and hypervigilant uh, 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 behavior. Sure. And, and, and that is just a vicious cycle because, because of that, they get disused, they get depressed, they get disability, they don't mm -hmm. socialize anymore, and that is just a cascade of events um, that happen. And what we try to do is basically by giving them positive beliefs that we we work them and again that is why we i think we as physical therapists we do kind of a graded exposure without danger i call it we do it we call it graded exposure with control if you it's not about bending it's the way you bend and mm -hmm. and we videotape them we, we show them look this is what you do what do you think stop mm -hmm. we let them think and we say they say well that 
doesn't seem to be quite good for my back. Do you think you can change it? Mm. It's very reflective, Karen. It's, mm -hmm. it's giving them, because what we know, we don't know yet how it works. We're, we're doing a research on that, what really mediates it. Mm -hmm. But what we know is that, and, and that's just, you know, based from motivational interviewing research, etc., is that people are more convinced if they found it themselves. Mm, so absolutely. if you could say you could say uh well you need to be less fearful and you have to get you have to get active i mean that most of the time that doesn't work you have to say it in a different manner mm -hmm. that you know what do you think you could do to change this because it's all about change it's changing behaviors it's changing mm -hmm. physical behavior mental behavior cognitive mm -hmm. behavior etc and if they think it's it's a powerful reflective question, all of a sudden they say, well, maybe I have to try running again. I said, did I hear you saying you mm -hmm. want to try running again? And they say, well, if you say that it's okay for my back. And I said, well, I'm not saying that you can go and run a marathon next week. Mm -hmm. Let's get you gradually like a, a start to run, which is really a hype over here in Europe, you know, and, you know, people start to run. I said, well, well, why don't we use a start to run approach on on getting you back running and see how your your, your body responds mm -hmm. and 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 get rid of some of these and these are this is so powerful if Absolutely. they get if they get the reality check where they say you know what i went running and and my back felt really good mm -hmm. what, what does it tell you that's very powerful and that that these kind of strategies we um we use so one one of the things is as as i mentioned one of the the, the, the one of the main uh, component is is um functional integration and lifestyle changes mm. and 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 so we, we we try to integrate these new behaviors into uh, activities of daily life and 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 then do do very specific um uh conditioning in 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 that in in, in that specific uh, you know sports they want to do or whatever yeah. And I mean, you know, I have to say, I sort of experienced this firsthand because I did have like made like chronic neck pain. Oh, I was right. kind of tossed around from this doctor, this doctor, had epidurals, did this, tried this, tried this stuff. Then I met David Butler and, <laughs> you and know, you had, chat, you had a chat with David. <laughs> and, and I had a chat and, uh, you know, he's obviously brilliant and, and, uh, and he said to me, well, you know, what do you do for exercise? I'm like, well, I haven't really been exercising because I, mm -hmm. you know, I used to run, but now I don't. And he's like, well, why don't you go for a run for 10 minutes and see what happens? That's a fantastic empowered. Uh, and I know. was like, well, I, yeah. I think yeah. might hurt my neck. And he's like, think about it. Yeah. Do you really think it's, so I did it. And then I emailed him like, I went for a run. It felt fine. And I have to say within three weeks of the conversation Absolutely. that we had, 90% of my pain was yep. gone and that was yeah. like five years ago and I've been fine yeah. ever since. And what happened? What happened? Your shift of being probably structurally focused. Can I, can, can I say yeah. that? A hundred percent. Something, something wrong and having multiple yeah. different healthcare professionals within the best effort they have. Yes, trying of course. To give you the best care they can not resulting in anything creates frustration. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, sometimes too simple to be true, mm -hmm. you say, let's just move it around. Yeah. 
what is the neck designed for? I mean, it's designed to, to move, to move. And, and your yeah. shoulder girdle. A, yeah. a lot of the tension is all around the shoulder girdle. Yeah. But not moving. Not moving is not good. Not and then, good. and like you said, sort of integrating this into your lifestyle. So as an example, I'll use myself again as the example of integration to a lifestyle. I started going to the grocery store and carrying back just like a really light bag, like maybe, you know, uh, bread and, and some like vegetables. So it was super light because I used to always think, oh, I can't carry a bag or anything because it's gonna, it hurts my neck. So I started very light. And now, I mean, obviously I only have two hands. You can only carry so much from the grocery store. <laughs> you have a bag. You can put a backpack on. With yeah, some I can put a backpack on. So, uh, Karen, I, that's exactly what we say. We tell yeah. the people that your back, is it your neck or your mid back or your low back is a strong structure. Mm -hmm. It is designed to to load things. If as long as you you just from from a, uh, an alignment point of view have have, have um, not and range postures because that's something that we see um, mm -hmm. after we've done the laboratory test is that that if you physically load it at end range positions which can just be very flexed postures uh -huh. lumbar spine or with very the active extensors uh -huh. we see that they hold themselves into a hyperlordotic uh, mm -hmm. position with a lot of loading compressive loading from hyper sure. hypertonic muscles that's not ideal but just as a structure the spine is 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 very strong, and right. that's that's the kind of message that we give. Try to 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 counteract the whole the 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 the, the harmful language that they've been given. Yeah. Like it's dangerous to lift. Um, you know your posture is terrible. You got a back of an eighty-year-old. You got oh, a degenerative yeah, disc. Absolutely. Your pelvis your pelvis is out of place. Yeah. You know, that's a common your, one. Your sacrum um, popped out. Like yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. You know, and these so, people, so we have to pop it back people, in. Yeah, pop it back in. And that <laughs> patient is just scared of moving sure. because he thinks or she thinks um, that it's going to pop out again. Sure. Well, you Absolutely. say we'll, we'll, we'll give them control and, 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 and by giving them control, they get they basically get get back their life and they're doing the things that they they love to do and the interesting thing that we see because that's from some of the research that um that has been analyzed recently based mm -hmm. on on the work that karen o'sullivan uh, did he did a series of case studies with people mm -hmm. with really quite disabled chronic low back pain mm -hmm. looking at what are the patient pathways and this is coming back on what we just initially started is that what we what we saw was that there were there were three groups you know you had the ones that responded well mm -hmm. the responders then you had the unclear responders and then you had the non-responders and a key thing a key thing within the responders was that they all and that's based on qualitative research of course in-depth interviews was mm -hmm. the acceptance of the biopsychosocial model mm -hmm. if they accepted the biopsychosocial models and model and after doing a, a, a good um, clinical examination, giving them, you know, the right tools, uh, addressing the right factors and all that, they felt that they achieved independence and achieved control over their pain and getting uh -huh. returned to a normal life. That were the responders. People who basically accepted the biopsychosocial model but lacked independence, uh -huh. they were unclear responders. Uh -huh. And if you look at the people who retained to the biomedical beliefs, they lack control over their pain and they're the non-responders. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's for us 
crucial. You know, I had a lady yesterday, 70 year old lady, and I thought, what, what can I do for you? And she says, nothing. And I said, why is it that I can't do anything for you? I need surgery. I said, why is it you think you need surgery? Because my back is stuffed, etc. And I said, are you considering surgery? And she said, no. I said, why are you not considering surgery? Well, I'm not considering surgery for my back. I first need my shoulders operated because I think I need strong shoulders and there's something wrong with my shoulders. Whoa. And she is so biased to structural yeah she is very much entrenched yeah. in that and, and 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 there's still a lot of work to do so yeah wheeling that to what i just said is that i mean we have to get a really strong therapeutic alliance first mm -hmm. where she is willing to accept biopsychosocial mm -hmm factors being involved in her case she's so stressed she's 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 she says it's not worthwhile anymore i'm 70 years old what's left Ooh. maybe maybe i die in a couple i said i mean yo yeah so <laughs> these things are 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 things that i think mediate much more her pain than mm -hmm. the structural pathology sure sure yeah and you know you see that all the time i have a 13 year old right now with mm -hmm. with chronic mm -hmm chronic knee pain she's 13 and it's because her kneecap is knocked out of place mm -hmm. and so until the kneecap goes back into place and her leg is mush and mm. so how can she you know and she has pain all the time she can't concentrate in school she can't even wear jeans the only oh, thing yep, she can yep. wear are like mm. leggings or denim and and yep. you know you go to see her and i'm trying to explain all of exactly what we're talking about to her and her mother is like, but when is she going to do the real strengthening? Mm. When is she going to do the strengthening exercises? Mm -hmm. Because everything is mushy. Mm. So when is she going to do that? Because the doctor said her leg is mushy. And, and once, once her mm. leg isn't mushy, she'll have no more pain. Mm. So, so I think that's an interesting example. And I don't know what your opinion is. What do you do as the physical therapist when the physician is, is very biomedical in their approach? How do you, because that's difficult, because you have, uh, and, and yeah. that's difficult it's, when it's the doctor Actually, I'm, I'm, after this, uh, this talk, I, I've, I have to run for a, a, a talk I'm doing for a GPs tonight, mm. and I'm psychologist, and it's basically on, on communication. It's mm -hmm. all about communication. So coming back on the need for a good um, therapeutic alliance, and the need for them to have a good understanding. If it's a mixed bag of different explanations, they, get, mm -hmm. they need to, to have a clear, strong explanation which they can yeah. hold on and work from. If they get contradictory information all the time, um, I, I see that as an, yeah. uh, not possible to work. So what do we do? We, we, we try to educate these people. We try, and that's on, on, on a larger scale as, as, as being an academic and an educator. Mm -hmm. But the other thing what we try to do is on an individual-based uh, uh, level, with, with, with patients, pick up the phone, ring these um, uh, referring physicians mm -hmm. uh, and or GPs and say, well, you know, maybe it's good, you know, that we, 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 we discuss this. Because you're absolutely right, if, it, if it's not fine-tuned, I, I, I often say, and, and actually that's, that's um, one of the quotes I say to them, it, it takes two to tango, basically. Mm -hmm. um, if, 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 if we want to do this, in, and, in, and this meaning rehabilitate these patients, um, 
we have to be on the same line. And yeah. if not, um, there, there's a big problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it, I'm the seventh or eighth person she's been to in the mm. past six months. So she's mm -hmm. had been to different doctors, different PTs. And at any rate, I think she's going to get there. Um, but let's, let's talk about physiotherapists in particular. Mm -hmm. So why would physiotherapists not adopt CFT in their treatments? Because I know you, you did an a interesting study that came out in the Journal of Physiotherapy that kind of talks about maybe why, why these things aren't yeah, happening. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good question. Well, mm -hmm. and, and that, we had that question basically when we started this research and it's, it's research done by Aoife Sin Sinna. Um, mm -hmm. She's at Limerick University, works with Karen O'Sullivan. It's actually um, just launched also, it's, it's on our pain ad website mm -hmm. uh, of which we can give the details. Sure. Uh, it's an open access uh, uh, paper. Uh, so everybody can basically download it today or whenever they want and, cool. and, and read it. So we asked that question too and what we what we basically uh, did was doing again a qualitative research um, and and seeing why is it that that, that um, patients have uh, physiotherapists sorry have have uh, difficulties with with um, uh, basically integrating this this uh, biopsychosocial uh, mm -hmm. approach and uh, the interesting thing that came out and, and that's why I love um, these uh, qualitative uh, research from a methodological point of view you can really get uh, in-depth information about what people think in this case physiotherapists uh, think mm -hmm. and um, what came out of that is basically three teams basically came out of it is that when it comes to recognition and from recognizing the roles of these cognitive, uh, psychological and social factors, what, what is their role in low back pain is what they admitted is that they have limited uh, abilities to do that. Um, the other thing that came out of it, and that's uh, coming back on that first theme, is mm -hmm. basically that it's, it's because they still have very strong biomedical expectations. Mm -hmm. They themselves, but also, um, their patients sure. and because of that because of that mismatch um, they found it quite difficult um, to deal with that and the other uh, theme that came out of it is that um, some physiotherapists and I think a lot they stigmatize these patients behavior um, and they say that that indicates you know uh, cognitive psychological and social things that we can't deal with them they are mm -hmm. they are the difficult patients you know they um and a final thing that came out of it is that they they see uh for physiotherapists uh, and then something that you you initially asked you know a limited role in managing mm -hmm. cognitive and and psychological social uh social factors basically so it was very uh, very interesting to uh to look at that. and i think there are a lot of you know consequences from there you know from an education point mm -hmm. of view um there's there's still a long way to go uh, i yeah i agree and and I think, I don't know, maybe I saw Lorimer Mosley speak uh, back in February. And I think he and, and David Butler, I think, will agree that the biopsychosocial uh, treatment approach is certainly much, much more adapted than it was years ago. 
but I think that there's still a long way to go. At least I can say that here in the absolutely. U.S. I think no, no, you're, a long you're way absolutely to go. right, and it's not. I mean, we did some research um, recently uh, with um, Emmanuel uh, Buner, and and what we did is was um, initially asking uh, physiotherapists uh, based on vignettes. So mm, they got clinical mm -hmm. vignettes, so just mm -hmm. basically case studies and description of, you know, what would you do? And, and, and most of them there say, you know, like, all right, when it's more, um, when, when they have negative beliefs, we have to counteract that and we have to promote activity, etc. Mm -hmm. And then um, actors were sent to physiotherapy clinics. Mm. And these physiotherapists knew, and it was in Switzerland, they knew that one day, you could have an actor in your clinic okay. um, and they consented for that. And the interesting thing was that what they say they do based on, mm -hmm. on, on the clinical vignettes they fill in is not what they actually mm -hmm. do when they get a painful, uh, a patient there in front of you. They, they basically reinforce um, some of the maladaptive behaviors. So one thing is, and, and I think it, it, it's, it's a, a process that really needs time um, sure. to incorporate um, because some of the things might be the clinical setting. You need a very oh. specific clinical setting where sure. you can, where you can basically deal with these patients. Mm -hmm. Imagine that you're just in a setting where, where, where there's a big gym with some cubicle curtain thing. Oh. How are you going to elicit uh, some of the, you know, catharsis that comes up when you have these sure. in interviews and, and they start telling about, um, you know, how negative thoughts they have and mm -hmm. what this have on their life, they won't be telling that if you, if, if they know that somebody who's sitting next to them can, absolutely can the can story. Hear them. Sure. Uh, sure. So there are many things. Um, and that's something that we want to address, like during a clinical workshop is like, like a, a, a process where they see case studies, they see us dealing with these patients and then, mm -hmm. they, then they get a lot of working material where they can then start to step by step integrating that into a, 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 a clinical setting. Yeah. And, and actually that kind of uh, brings me to the next topic is you are coming to the U.S. in May. Going yeah, to that's right. So, I'm, I'm so excited about it. I'm, I'm coming back to Portland, Oregon, the place where uh -huh. I where I lived for a year in the, in, in the early 90s. Okay. And um, so, yeah, I got invited and we're running a workshop there. And that's um, basically the, the final three days of uh, May. Mm -hmm. So May 29, I think. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's the final mm -hmm. weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in, uh, in May. Yep. Yep, great. So if, if uh, it's Cognitive Functional Therapy Workshop, Friday, May 29th, uh, yep, until uh, Sunday, May 31st. And uh, if people want to find out more about this, they can go to, and, and you're on yeah, they can go to um, They can go to the website, the pain uh -huh. ad website, and, and if you could just go for uh, to uh, healthcare professionals, there are upcoming events, and there you can see Great. Uh, the upcoming events. And um, so I've, uh, there's a website to uh, get more information uh, via, uh, I think it's Cascade uh, Seminars. That yep. It. Yep. And, yep. Um, yep, it's all there. Okay, and that website again is Pain. Yeah, Pain Ad is uh, is a great project that that evolved from uh, Karen O'Sullivan's work, um, and uh, basically, um, 
we as clinical researchers and and um that's that's peter o'sullivan and karen o'sullivan then mm -hmm. and, and charton who did the uh, rct in uh, in norway on on cognitive functional therapy so as clinical research we realized that there was a absolute need to mm -hmm. translate all the scientific evidence that we have about pain and in particular you know back pain mm -hmm. both to the public and to healthcare practitioners so mm -hmm. basically pain at was a was a project um and is a project that where we want to what we call bridging the gap you know we want to uh, dispel some of the myths we want to uh give patient testimonials and and we know that a patient testimonial is not hard rocket science mm -hmm. uh, but if you know that these patients on that uh, website, and, and I think we've got like 10 uh, at least uh, testimonials now, where people tell their story and were, were in, in, in a very reflective way. So what do you think was the, the key thing that changed your way you uh, dealt with your back pain? And mm -hmm. you hear them telling about what, what that is within that framework that we just uh, expressed. That, that's very... Um, you know, convincing for clinicians. I think it's very convincing for patients to look beyond, beyond that structural thing. And um, so on, on, on a regular basis, um, new things got, got posted and, and people can sign up to get, to cool. get uh, all the information. Um, yeah. and, and that's P-A-I-N. Pain hyphen ed from, it's pain hyphen education. So the ed is from education. Okay. Pain com. Got it. All right. So pain-ed.com. That's it, Karen. All right. Great. And lastly, um, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Uh, they can email me. Um, so they can just email me. Um, and that's uh, dankarts at faber, F-A-B-E-R, dot kuleuven.be okay and i can uh, just so everyone knows I'll, I'll put that up someplace if you and, put it up and if you google my name yeah 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 we'll put it up that's a hand well correctly pro, uh, pronounced that then thank then, you yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you and the paper that you mentioned can people find that at pain hyphen ed yeah, that's that exactly what I okay. what I uh, briefly touched. So we, okay. we, we got posts like uh, once every fortnight, basically. And I think two days ago, mm -hmm. uh, another post was uh, launched, and that was uh, Eva's um, uh, paper. And the great thing great. about this uh, this paper is it's an open access paper. So that if if you go to home on the Pain Ad website, mm -hmm. which is Pain. Uh, hyphen hyphen dot com uh -huh. exactly. Um, then the the the, um, the latest post is about uh, the story that was the, the qualitative study that uh -huh. was published in the Journal of Physiotherapy. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I know you've got a super busy day, so I want to thank you for taking the time out and coming on the podcast. And this was great. And um, hopefully. Uh, people listening will then be able to meet you in person in Portland. Okay. Thanks, Karen, for having okay. me. It was a real pleasure. My pleasure. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.